podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It's the 16th of June. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all better than the Italian national team, who should be ashamed of themselves, frankly, having lost 2-1 to Spain last night in the Nations League semi-final. I haven't seen a Spain team that minging in about 20 years. Unai Simon in goal. He's a good goalkeeper. Jesus Navas is and never really has been a, a fullback. He is defensively very, very suspect. He's a, he's a winger. He came through as a winger, played as a winger most of his career. 
Moved to fullback as he got a bit older. He does his best. The guy can't defend. Jordi Alba's never been a particularly good defender. That's their fullbacks. Robin Le- Robin Lenormand, average. Emeric Laporte's good. Rodri's good. Moreno's good. But then you've got Rodrigo and Morata as two of your front four. Jeremy Pino I like, and Gavi's obviously outstanding, but that is a very, very weak Spain national team. When you look at the bench, Fabian Ruiz, Asensio, Canelles, Ansu Fati, Jocelyn, Kepa, Danny Carvial, Nacho, Martin Zubimendi, David Rea, Fran Garcia, Danny Olmo, it's not filling you with confidence. But at the same time, you look at that Italian team and you've got Donnarumma, who's obviously a great keeper, but he hasn't really developed the way people hoped he would. Toloi is average. A Serbi is average. And Benucci's way past his best. That's an ugly back three. Di Lorenzo had a very good season, but he's not the best of players. Spinozola is, is wildly inconsistent and has been his entire career. Fratesi and Barella are outstanding, but Jorginho, really, at this point. And then Zaniolo and Immobile up front. And their bench, DeMarco, Darmian, Verratti, Chiesa, Verratti and Chiesa Fair, Cristante, Retegi, Pellegrini, Maris, Nanto, Vissario, Raspadori. It's just, it's not a team. These these are two of the premier footballing nations and their, their national teams are just very, very average. Now, you'd still back them to beat more talented teams like England, for example, just because they have know-how and nous of how to win big games. But the standard of international football, I don't think has ever been lower. I think it's been dreadful, really and truly, for a long time. The last good World Cup we had was 06. Like, properly good World Cup in terms of quality, drama and all the rest was 06. That's six, 17 years ago. And the 02 World Cup was fairly shoddy. Now, before that, there was a great run, but they're just not of the same caliber. Same goes for the other international competitions. The Copa America can still be quite good, but the Euros have been repeatedly poor. And this Nations League is is a nonsense. Jeremy Pino put Spain one up after two after three minutes. Chiro Mobile equalised in the penalty spot. Uh, Fratesi had a goal disallowed, and Josselu scored the winner for Spain in the eighty eight minutes. So Spain will take on Croatia on the 18th, which is Sunday. Um, a couple of hours before that game, Italy will play the Netherlands. Um, I, I don't know that I'd be rushing to watch either game, to be totally honest. These are, these are poor, poor quality games. I expect Croatia to win because I just... It's not even a talent thing. It's just when it comes down to it, they just seem to have this mental toughness that very few can match. And as long as they've got Luka Modric and Mateo Kovacic and Brozovic, they're going to be a bit of a force. Now, they won't have them for a whole lot longer, especially Luka Modric. But I do think they can 
at least get their hands on a trophy this time. It's not much of a trophy, but it is something. Um, we'll move on. We have two Premier League teams to dig into today, Crystal Palace and Everton. So we'll do those. We'll do some news. We'll do some gossip. And that will be us done again pretty quick today. There isn't a whole lot going on. There's no real point in spending too much time on speculation such as the Manchester United takeover because there's just so much fake news right now with regards to this takeover. This idea that Sheikh Jassim is the preferred buyer, all of it seems to be Qatar attempting to exert pressure on the Glazers, planting stories with Reuters, setting up a company in the UK to act as a vehicle to buy the club. I mean, these things don't mean anything. They are just basically him attempting to bully the Glazers into accepting his offer in the same way that his last offer was apparently sent with a take-it-or-leave-it mandate. There's so many different things to get into with that. Like, he doesn't have the money. He himself doesn't have the money. So even if he was was the preferred bidder, the Premier League is going to look at that and they're going to think, well, hang on a second, you don't have the money. Where's the money come from? Show us proof of funds and show us you have the funds to then run the club. Because if he's borrowed the money, well, where's he borrowed it from? Most likely the Qatari government. And that obviously will make things quite difficult. But again, there'll be plenty of time to talk more about that as the summer rolls on. We had some reports today from Alex Miller that Liverpool are still looking for minority investment, which is just a way to spin things. There's there's nothing advanced. There's nothing going on. It'll likely be after the summer transfer window before Liverpool have any sort of um, any sort of news regarding investment. So let's dig into Crystal Palace. Obviously, they had a bit of an odd season. Their preseason was completely disrupted by COVID rules, vaccination rules, injuries, and whatever else. <clears throat> Half the squad went to the Middle East. And half the squad went to, no, sorry, it was to the Far East, wasn't it? It was to the Far East they went. And half the squad stayed home. So they had this weird pre-season where their players weren't together. And you could see it in their first game against Arsenal that these lads looked like they hadn't seen each other in a couple of months. Even though they played like one or two friendlies to get themselves ready, they clearly were not ready for the start of the season. Um. So it started shaky, one win from their first seven games. Then they found a little run of form and they won four of their next six. They lost just before the World Cup break and then coming out of the World Cup break, they were really poor. Lost to Fulham, beat Bournemouth, hammered by Spurs, lost to Chelsea, drew at United, drew at Newcastle. Now in a vacuum, all of those results are not bad, but together they're problematic. Then they lost to United. Drew at Brighton, drew at Brentford, lost to Crystal Palace. 
sorry, Drew, sorry, Drew at Liverpool after Brentford. I don't know why I said Crystal Palace. Drew at Liverpool after Brentford, and then lost four in a row. Again, none of them are bad results individually. Aston Villa, Man City, Brighton, all one nil defeats, and then they were thumped by Arsenal. But it's the fact that they all came together. That was the problem for them. Vieira was sacked before the Arsenal game. Roy took over after the Arsenal game, and then they had a strong end to season. They won three in a row, then they drew at Everton, they lost to Wolves, they bounced back and beat West Ham, lost to Palace, beat Bournemouth, drew at Fulham, drew at Forest, and ended up staying up very comfortably. Uh, 11th place, 45 points. I believe Vieira would have kept them up, but I think the change was needed. I do think Vieira had come to the end of his time at the club. I think his message had gotten a little bit stale. The performances were not what they wanted them to be. They went out of the FA Cup really early, first round, not well, third round as it is, but the first round they played in at home to Southampton. And they went out of the EFL Cup in the third round against Newcastle on penalties, having knocked out Oxford in the second round. So all things considered, disappointing cup runs, but 11th place in the Premier League is is pretty good. They lost far too many games. They lost 15 games, but they were decent defensively all season long. The lack of goals was a bit of a concern. You look through the whole season, Eze was their top scorer. He got 10 Zaha got seven. Odson Edward only got seven, five in the league. Jordan Ayew got four. Schlupp got three. Olise only scored two. That's something he needs to work on. Mateta only scored two. So you've got Edward and Mateta, who are their primary nines, getting seven league goals between them, nine in all competitions. That's something they are going to need to look at. It looks like they're going to lose... Wolf Zaha this summer for free, which is a huge blow because he's still their best player. He's vital to them. And they're not a club that has vast cash reserves that can just go out and replace a 40 to 50 million pound asset like Wilf when they don't get anything back in for him. So let's go through the squad. Goalkeeper, you've got Gaeta, who played the majority of the season, and then Sam Johnston, who came in towards the end of the season. And I thought played pretty well. I do think he was brought in to be first choice when they landed him last summer. But obviously he had a number of injuries through the year. My guess is that he goes into next season as first choice. Now for me, I would want an upgrade on him. I don't think he's quite good enough if you have real ambition. But they've got a couple of other things to do. So maybe you just put a pin in that and leave it till next summer. In defence, right back is the biggest issue. Joel Ward and Nathaniel Klein are game. They will give everything they have. Neither of them are good enough to be starting in the Premier League. And Palace need to address the right back position this summer as a matter of priority. The two starting centre-backs, Anderson and Gwehi, are very good. They work very well together. I expect both to stay this summer. I think they'll expect more from Chris Richards next season. He had a number of injuries this year, which kind of slowed him. But he's a solid backup. 
And then James Tompkins is their fourth centre-back, and he's one you'd want to be replacing. So I, I do think they could do bringing in a centre-back for depth, someone that they can develop. Maybe somebody that if Anderson was to move on or Gwehi was to move on in a year, someone that can step in in 12 months and be ready to go. So that's not a priority, but that is something they should address. Left back, I think they're fine. They've got Tariq Mitchell. They've got young Adaramola, the young Irish left back. They don't need a left back. They're good there. Starting right back and a backup centre back, absolutely things they should do. In midfield, obviously a lot depends on who the manager is. It might be Roy, but then it might not be Roy. It might be somebody else. If it's Roy and he's going to play 4-2-3-1, Dekure will be one starter. I think they need to bring in another starter. They had Sambi Lakonga in on loan from Arsenal. Didn't really impress a huge amount. I don't think they'll try and make that permanent. Um... Milivojevic, his his past is best. It's probably time to move him on. Jeff Schlupp should not be starting 30 Premier League games a season. James MacArthur missed most of the season through injury and his past is best. Will Hughes is a good squad option. But as a starter, he's probably just below where you'd want him to be. Ahamada has huge potential. I don't think he's quite ready to start. Riedeveld, I assume is out of contract at some point because he's been there forever, plays five to six games a season. By all accounts, very hard worker, very popular, and he's versatile. So maybe he's worth keeping just as a squad option. Along with the likes of, say you keep him and MacArthur as your fifth and sixth options in there for, you know, camaraderie, harmony, and obviously leadership with MacArthur. I think they need to sign a starting midfielder to go with Czech Dukure. Olise on the right, and I would say you've got Malcolm Abue and Jordan Ayew who can be backups there. Eze as the 10. Olise can play there. You might want to look to bring in maybe a younger player who could potentially be a long-term successor for Eze, if there's an opportunity. If not, it's probably something you can leave. They're going to need to buy a left winger because Wilf is leaving and that creates a big hole. Au can play there, or Ayu, Ayu can play there, and Jeff Schlupp can play there. And Eze can play there if need be. But I do think a starting left winger is a must. And up front, ideally, you'd want to bring in a striker, but will they have the money to also bring in a right-back, a central midfielder, and a left-winger if they buy a striker? I'd be inclined to just leave that for the year and hope that Edouard can maybe kick on. Moussa Dembele is available on a free, though. And if they could nab him, I know the wages would be a little bit high. But I do think he could be a good fit. I do think he could be a good fit there. And if they had the money, he's a player I've linked to a bunch of clubs, but Jokerez from Coventry would, would make a lot of sense there. Depending on his recovery from his knee injury, I wonder if Armando Brogia is available on loan. I wouldn't be 
surprised if they brought in a striker, but I do think they've got other things that need to take priority. Right back, central midfield, and left wing. I think those should be their priorities. And then maybe in January, you can go and find yourself a striker. Or maybe there's someone out there on the loan market who just might be the right fit for you. I mean, it would be a gamble, but would Juve loan you Moise Keane? I know he didn't settle in England the first time with Everton, but that club was toxic at the time. Moise Keane's talented, and he knows how to score goals. Maybe they could bring him in. Outside of that, I mean, I, I do think... No, he's, he's not going to go there. The wages would be too much. If if Sevilla wanted to sell in Naziri, you could try for him. I don't think they would, but you could try. Could they gamble on a on a young striker? I mean, that's probably their best. Probably their best bet. If if Arsenal wanted to not sell Balogun. Crystal Palace could make a lot of sense as a loan for Balogun if they wanted to keep ownership of him and not be pushed into a sale. If Arsenal buy a striker, could Eddie Nketiah be available on a loan? I mean, if they wanted to be brave, El Yawahi is the is the guy to go for. French under-21 international at Montpellier. But you'd have to be certain about his personality. There's a lot of stories about him that don't paint him in a good light from when he was a young player. Now, maybe they were just to do with immaturity or whatever. He's still only 20 years of age. Maybe it was to do with immaturity. I don't know, but he'd be a risk. He would be a risk. Um, Right back, centre midfield, left wing. Sort them out and then maybe take a look at the forward position. Matet is a good player. He offers a lot in build-up. Edward's a very good player and again offers a lot in build-up. If you could get more goals out of Olise, Eze, and Eze, like I say, got 10 last season. So that's a good return for him. But if he could kick that up to, say, 14, if Elise could get his 2 to eight, which he's absolutely talented enough to do. And if you could get a a right winger that could get 10, or sorry, a left winger that could get 10, then you wouldn't be as reliant. Because remember, they're not going to try and win the league. They're going to aim for a top half finish. That's the the goal for them next season is, is the top half finish. And if they can achieve that, it will be a successful season for them. There's just no way around it. I like this Palace team. I like how they've built it thus far. I think they've got a lot of good players. Still got some work to do. But that's part of the the fun, isn't it? Is is building a team and seeing how far you can take it. And then, unfortunately for, for a lot of clubs like Palace, they'll never get to see out the journey because someone will come in and take Michael Elise or Eberi Chiesi off them. Um. Yeah, the manager thing is interesting. I wonder what happens with Roy. There's been some talk that they might keep him, but then at the same time, that all seems to have gone quiet. 
it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to keep him for one more year, which I, I think would be a mistake. I think they need to move on. The the Vieira thing worked. You just didn't do quite enough with it. You left yourself short in a couple of key areas. I think you should go and try and find a manager that can build from there. Graham Potter's out there. Now, he might not take the job given his association with Brighton, the big rivalry between those two clubs, but it doesn't help to kick the tires. Can't get any worse than a no. I wouldn't go Jesse Marsh, not there with that club. Although, you know, talking with the players, they need Tyler Adams as that other midfielder with the Kure. That would be horrible to play against. He could also fit as the right back you need. You know, if you look at the clubs that went down, all of them have players that would fit well in this Palace team. Suleimana as the left winger would be really good. They couldn't afford Lavia, unfortunately. But Livermento as the right back would be a really good fit. Him and Elise down that side would be really good. From Leeds, Nanto, Sinistera, either of them for the left wing. Even Somerville, not a great option, but not bad. Patrick Bamford as the nine, maybe. Adams as a midfield option. Mark Roca as a midfield option. Adams again as a right back. Christensen as a right back. Ricardo Pereira as a right back from Leicester. I don't think he'll leave, but Dewsbury Hall would be Dewsbury Hall would actually be ideal in that midfield with the Kure. Harvey Barnes would be too expensive. Ian Acho would be an interesting forward for them though. He really would be an interesting forward. Anyway, let's move on to Everton. There's been a lot of talk around Jordan Pickford and could he leave this summer and might Everton be open to selling to try and help fund what's going to be quite a significant rebuild, you'd imagine. Uh, Sean Dyche took over in January with the team looking almost certain to go down. And let's be honest, the reason Everton didn't go down is because other teams just happened to be worse than them. It wasn't because Everton did anything well. Everton stayed up through sheer luck. The result against Brighton is ultimately what kept them in the division. And I think if those two teams played each other 10 times, I think Brighton win nine of them. But Everton winning that one game is what kept them in the division ultimately. They won three of their last 15 games. And somehow stayed in the division. That is shocking. They won eight games all season. Eight games all season. It is pure dumb luck that kept them in the division. Only Leeds and Southampton won less games. Leeds won seven. Southampton won six. Everton won eight. Leicester and Nottingham Forest won nine. And then everybody else is 11 or above. (sighs) 
defense, their defensive record is basically what kept them in the division because they were able to draw games that Leicester lost. Rather than losing a game 2-1, they were able to keep it at 1-1, things like that. 12 draws on the season, only 34 goals scored, but only 57 conceded, which only West Ham of the teams in the bottom eight conceded less. And that was two goals, 55-57. to But let's be truthful, Everton were dreadful this past season. Lampard proved that he is the worst manager in the league. And Everton were every bit the mess people expected them to be. They were just appalling. But they got a couple of funky results that stand out. I mean, they beat Arsenal 1-0 in Dyche's first game. The 5-1 over Brighton. I mean, those the the 1-0 win over Brentford. The other wins they had, I mean, West Ham were garbage this season. Southampton went down. Palace. Leeds went down. And Bournemouth, who were safe already. But they beat Brighton 5-1. They beat Brentford 1-0. And they beat Arsenal 1-0. And all of those results came under Dyche. And Dyche, it was Dyche that kept them up. It wasn't the remnants of what Lampard left. Uh, under Frank... They took six, they took 15 points. So they got 21 points under Dyche. And Dyche took over with 5, 10, 18 games left. So 15 from the first 20, 21 from the last 18. So they did improve under Sean Dyche, as you would expect, given he's a real football manager and not a glorified PE teacher. They desperately struggled for goals. Dwight McNeil, the top scorer, with seven. Damari Gray got six, only four in the Premier League. Abdoulaye Dekoure got four in the Premier League. Anthony Gordon got three. He left in January. Calvert-Lewin got two. Iwobi got two. Cody got two, only one in the league. And then a bunch of lads got one. They were gifted two own goals. Uh, Alex Iwobi was their top assister with eight, seven in the league. That's actually pretty good, to be fair. Uh, then McNeil with three, Onana with two, and Dekure with two. There is more talent in this squad than what we saw. I've said it all along and I stand by it. There is more talent in this squad than what we saw. I'm not a big Pickford fan, but he is England's number one. If a good offer came in, and I mean like, you know, 40 million-ish, you'd have to take it. You would have to take it. I don't expect that offer to come in. I expect Pickford to stay as number one. Begovic is grand as a number two. He's not very good, but look, what can you do? Um, In defence, I think Nathan Patterson's going to be a really good right back. And I think Michael is better than people make out at left back. Now, I think he's better as a left side centre back in a three, but he's fine as a left back. At centre back, you've got Tarkovsky, who's good. Holgate, who stagnated a few years ago and probably needs to move on. Michael Keane, who's never really worked well for Everton, but Dyche does like him. And as a backup to Tarkovsky, you could do worse. Yerry Mina was the best centre-back at the club. Guy couldn't stay fit, and he's now a free agent. They've let him go. Ben Godfrey is the most talented defender they have at the club. He obviously missed a huge chunk of time with injury. 
I think he's very talented, and I think under Dyche he could develop into a good player. But I actually think that player would be at the base of midfield under Dyche. In a back three, I think him on the right of the back three with Michael Enko on the left is is the best fit. That also, I think, suits Patterson better, who's really willing to get forward as a wing back more so than a full back. But Sean Dyche believes in, in a back four. Um, Seamus Coleman has signed a new deal and he'll stick around another year, which is good. Ruben Venegra was in on loan. They've decided not to keep him. Again, he was perfect as a wing back, not so much as a full back. Connor Cody, he's just not very good. So they've let him go back to whence he came. And they've got young Reese Welch, who's promising. Now, they've also got a very, very talented young centre-back in Jared Branthwaite, who they should be bringing back and putting in the team this summer. For me, he should be going in as a starter next to James Tarkovsky. Dyche wants a righty and a lefty. He's a left footer. He's good on the ball. He's quick. He's powerful. He's had a good season for PSV Eindhoven. He's played European football. He's gotten experience. I think they've got to give him an opportunity in this window. Because if not, I think they're going to end up missing out on the opportunity to integrate him. I'd also very much like to see them give Lewis Gibson, Lewis Gibson a chance. I think he's a very promising defender. They brought him in from Newcastle at 17. He's now 22. And he's never been given a real opportunity there. He's never played for them. He's had four loans. And from what I've seen, he's done pretty well on at least two of them. So for me, not as a starter, but as a squad player, I think you keep hold of him. I would say Patterson, Tarkovsky, Brantwaite, and Michael Enko is the back four to go into next season with. Then you've got Coleman... You've got Godfrey, Keane, and Gibson as the depth centre-backs. In terms of a um, a backup left-back, I think that's something they're going to need to address. They've got Niels in Kunku, but I think, I think they let him go. Is he still owned by them? Let's see. If he's still owned by them, then they're fine. But Niels in Kunku. He spent part of the season on loan with Sendeti, and I'm just not sure if it was a permanent deal or no, it's a loan deal. They have an option to buy. So Sendeti and have an option to buy him. If they don't take it up, I think Everton should bring him back and use him as a backup left back. He's very, very talented. And he was one that Everton did really well to get from Marseille. They didn't get promoted. I don't think they're going to take up that option. Five million would be a lot for a team in the second flight in France to pay. So he could be the backup left back. Defensively, they are strong. And Brantwaite will be a big addition for them. Because he's very, very talented. Midfield, again, they're pretty strong. Like They do have good midfielders here. A lot of them are similar enough, but there's some standouts. I mean, Onana is hugely talented. Now, 
It may well be that he departs this summer. There's rumours of Chelsea and 55 million. If that happens, it's a shame for Everton. But it's a good profit on what they paid a year ago. I do wonder, can Chelsea afford to get him and Caicedo? And if they have to prioritise, I guess they prioritise Caicedo. But Onana has enormous potential. I would I would love him at Liverpool. Would absolutely love to get him at Liverpool. I think he would be sensational. Um, if I'm West Ham and I'm selling Rice, he's very high on my list to bring in. Abdoulaye Dukure is the type of player that when he's fit and on it, he can be really impactful. He just misses too many games. You keep him as a squad player, but you don't rely on him. Tom Davies, I'd be letting go. Idrissa Gay, I think you keep him as experienced depth, but I wouldn't want him starting. James Garner, I think, will establish himself as a starter next season. And remember, this is a Sean Dyche midfield, so neat and tidy is the name of the game, which is maybe why Onana doesn't fit all that well for him, because Onana's not a neat and tidy midfielder. He's big, bombastic, aggressive, very, very explosive and doesn't just sit and hold, which is what Dyche likes. So I think they'll look to bring in a centre midfielder to partner James Garner. It will be off the left. McNeil off the right is what worked for them. And I think Dyche will stick with that. Having them inverted, but also having the ability to flip them over so they can be on their more natural sides. My expectation is they start next season as two of his midfielders. I think this is an area, though, they need to add depth and competition. So a wide midfielder, definitely something to look for. And then in attack, you've got McNeil. Oh, sorry, McNeil will be in midfield. You've got Calvert-Lewin, you've got Gray, you've got Mope, you've got Ellis Sims, and you've got Deli Ali, but I don't know what they're going to do with him. Um, you've also got young Thomas Cannon. I think he spends the season on loan. I think they need to look for a goal scorer. Calvert-Lewin... He just can't be relied on to stay fit. It's a shame because he's very, very talented and he's exactly the type of nine that Daesh wants. But I think they need to look for a goal scorer. I think that's where most of their focus and most of their budget's going to need to go is finding someone that can score them goals. They get a goal scorer and a central midfielder. I think they can have a comfortable season next next year of you know 12th to 14th under Sean Daesh. And just look to ride out this patch of financial instability that they're in. They may well be facing a points deduction. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But there is enough talent in that team to just make them a bang average, middle-of-the-road team that isn't going to challenge for Europe, but also isn't at risk of relegation. Basically what Roy Hodgson makes every team he's ever managed. You get a central midfielder in. You've got decent depth. I think you bring Brantwaite in and start him. And again, you've got okay depth. Might need a backup left back, but if Nkunku is still under contract, just keep him. And get a goal scorer. Centre midfielder and goal scorer. I think I think funds will be limited. I think Onana will go, which is where the money would come from for said centre midfielder. I mean, if they want to be ambitious, Hayden Hackney of Middlesbrough, I know it doesn't sound ambitious to buy a player from the championship, but him and Garner together, I think would be really good. 
for a Sean Dyche midfield. And then you're looking for that nine, but a goal-scoring mobile nine to play with Calvert-Lewin. It's hard to find the type of player they need. They have been linked with the kid from Almeria whose name escapes me. Um, let's get him up here. El Bilal Toure. That's the one they've been linked with. And he does make sense stylistically. But he's not a really proven goal scorer as yet. So I think you'd have to do a lot of you know kind of crossing your fingers that he immediately pops as a goal scorer. Um, there's nobody else really in I mean Nicholas Jackson would have been a good fit but it looks like he might go to Chelsea so there's nobody else really there that stands out for me as um, as the, the right fit let's have a look at the other the other major leagues we might be able to find somebody um, if we look at Germany, we look at France, we look at Italy, we go Portugal, we go Netherlands. Bundesliga, Nicholas Falkrog, no. Vincenzo Griffo, no. Marcus Turam, but I think he's going to have better offers. Not so much. Um, again, Fowler and Balogun could be could be ideal. They won't have the money, and I don't think they'll have the pull. But Jonathan David is would be great. Uh, Luisa Penda, and he had a great season. I wonder. His name was... He was linked with a move somewhere else, wasn't he? Luisa Penda from... From Lens could be very interesting. I don't know if they could attract him, but if they could, I do think he could fit really, really well. He's one to consider. El Yawahi again is another. Habib Diallo, I mean, proven goal scorer. Terra Moffi would have been a good fit, but he only moved in January, so he's not going to move again. Um, Luis Append is interesting. Very interesting there. From Syria. I mean, Bouladia, maybe. Maybe Villarreal would be willing to sell him. Adam Ola Luckman, you had him before, you made a mess of it. He's probably not going to be willing to come back. Um, no. Portugal. Maybe it's rainy. No, I don't think so. Fran Navarro? Done really well with Gil Vicente. 
17 and 34 on a team that were fairly average. Might not be a bad shout. And I mean, Santiago Jimenez of Feyenoord would be really interesting. He great first year with Feyenoord. Uh, Sidney van Hoydonk, Pierre's son, he had a really good season with Herenveen. Duvikas of Utrecht was top scorer in the Eredivisie. But the Eredivisie is always difficult to buy from because it's just hard to know if it's going to translate. It's always really hard to know if it'll translate. Centre midfield and goalkeeper, they're the two things Everton need to get. I need to take a break. When we come back, a little bit of news, gossip, and we're done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So it looks like Leicester City have found themselves a new manager. Enzo Morasca, the current assistant coach at Manchester City, is set to be appointed as their new manager having agreed terms. Um, it's an interesting one. He's obviously worked under Pep a couple of times now. He was there for a year as the manager of their under-23s team, and then he's been the assistant this past year. In between them, he joined Parma as manager, and it didn't really go very well. 14 games in charge, four wins, five draws, and five defeats. And he was promptly sacked after basically three months in the job. Um, he's been an assistant with Ascoli, Sevilla, and uh, West Ham as well. So he does have some experience working under different managers. It's a little bit of a gamble without question because he's got no real experience as manager. And having just been relegated, you would have thought, Maybe a more experienced set of hands is something Leicester would have gone for. It's very clear Graham Potter was their first choice. He's turned them down. I think Maraska could do well if he's given some backing. But when you look at their squad, and I've said this before, you compare their squad to Southampton's and Leeds, and they're very much the worst off of the three in terms of what they'll be left with after the bigger name players leave. There's a very high wage bill there. There's not a great amount of top young talent. I I wonder, can they keep hold of Harvey Barnes and Kiernan Dewsbury Hall? It's very clear they're going to lose James Madison. Yuri Thielemans is already gone. I wouldn't be surprised if Ndidi left. I wouldn't be surprised if Ianacho left. Defensively, they're a train wreck. They've got two good young left backs and they've got James Justin. And other than that, I don't think I'd want any of their defenders. Wouldn't want any of their goalkeepers. It's a big, big job. It really is a big job. And if he's taking that job, he needs to insist that they're aware that this is unlikely to be a bounce back straight up. Bounce straight back up is what I should say. Bounce straight back up type of situation. This might take two years. 
this might take a year just to clear out and get new bodies in place and get new faces in. And then in 24, 25, then you try and get promoted because Rogers really has left an abomination of a squad. And we'll, we'll get to them um, next week in terms of what they might need to do. But there's a lot, there is a lot to be done. Um, Brendan Rogers seems to be eking, eking closer to a return to Celtic, which just fills me with misery. So I'm going to move on from that. Chris Smalling has signed a new two-year contract with Roma. Do I really admire this? Because Chris Smalling is a better defender than people make him out to be, but he was never good enough to play for Manchester United. Chris Smalling should have had a good career at mid-table Premier League clubs. But because he was asked to play for Manchester United and asked to play far too much for them, he was held to the level of those that came before. McGrath, Pallister, Stam, Vidic. He wasn't ever going to succeed in that regard. But he's gone to Roma, he's taken a chance, and he's rebuilt his career. And he's done very, very well there. And I'm delighted to see him take the opportunity to stay there and experience this different type of life and different culture. And he's learned good Italian by all accounts since moving there. So I'm happy for Smalling. I'm happy for for Roma. I think it's important that they get to keep him for another year. Uh, that's basically all we have on the news front. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles has left Arsenal as a free agent. Reese Nelson is still in talks to finalise his his contract on the woman's side of the game. Alicia Russo is leaving Manchester United allegedly to join Arsenal um, in January. Arsenal made two world record bids for the player. United turned them down and now she's leaving on a free. I mean, that is just shockingly bad management by Manchester United. But by all accounts, their women's team is drastically underfunded, even though they're one of the few women's teams that actually turns a profit. Like, they're really close to becoming a juggernaut in the women's game, and they've been held back by, you know, a lack of funding, a lack of backing, a lack of belief. They play at a ground that has no real real, um, transport facilities. It's just... Bizarre, but yet they continue to fill the place. They continue to tr- to bring in big money, uh, in terms, of, relatively speaking, of course. But yeah, just just really strange. Um, there's a piece on the BBC about Eddie Howe and how Newcastle are kind of gearing up for the new season. So that's worth a read. And there's a really good piece here on Gordon McQueen, written by Tom English which I think is really well worth giving a read. Um, What else do we have? Oh, Rudy Garcia has been appointed as the new manager of Napoli. Really, really don't like this appointment at all. Um, Rudy Garcia at one point was a manager I quite liked, but he has fallen off badly. He did really well with Lille years ago. Went to Roma. It didn't really work out. 
Went to Marseille, it didn't really work out. Went to Lyon, it didn't really work out. He's just spent the year managing Al Nazir in in Saudi. Um, it clearly didn't work out either. And now he's been given one of the premier jobs in Europe with a you know taking over Serie A's best team. I think this is a really really poor decision. I really do think this is a poor decision. But oh well, that's their their call. Uh, Tottenham have submitted a joint fifty million pound bid for Leicester City um, to Leicester City rather for England midfielder. James Madison and Harvey Barnes. Now, that bit is going to get laughed out of the place. Some have said it's not true. I'd be inclined to believe that journalist that wrote it, Tom Collymus. He seems to have a decent handle on things at Leicester, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Manchester United, Manchester City and Chelsea could all enter the bidding war for Declan Rice. I, I, I have a feeling that Arsenal are playing the media here and trying to make out that there's more interest than there is to justify their overspend, which is what United did when they overspent on Harry Maguire. Uh, Arsenal will soon make an improved offer of £100 million for Rice. Arsenal continue to prioritise a deal for Rice and have therefore pulled out of the deal, uh, pulled out of the market for Moises Caicedo. As I said, they couldn't afford both of them. Caicedo has decided to join Chelsea he hasn't really. He's just decided to stay in England and he's not going to Bayern, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. I don't fully believe the story because I don't believe the source. Uh, I saw Miguel Delaney today say that Arsenal are looking to bring in Romeo Lavia. Again, I think that's probably not true. I think they probably have interest, but I don't think they're going to have the 50 or 60 million that Leicester will, that, that Southampton rather will want. Um, Kai Havertz has agreed personal terms with Arsenal who are yet to finalise a deal with Chelsea. That's going to that's gonna eat up a huge part of their budget as well. And they want a winger and they want another defender. Like I just don't see them adding that second midfielder. I think it's all well and good to bluster and say we want these things, but I don't think it's all going to happen for them. Uh, Chelsea faced competition for Manchester United for the signing of Andre Onana. He has already said he wants to stay with Inter. Latour Martinez wants to join Chelsea. Uh, this was written by our good friend F- Fraser Fletcher, who's a spoofer. Um, Newcastle remain in pole position to sign Kieran Tierney. That's not surprising. Brentford will sign Romeo Beckham from Inter Miami on a permanent one-year deal with a 20-year-old set to continue for the B's B team. Okay, Atalanta will demand a figure well in advance of their club record of £45 million for Rasmus Hoysland. And rightfully so, if Manchester United and Chelsea are in for your player, milk them for everything they've got because they're two stupid clubs who'll pay it. Liverpool are interested in Paris Saint-Germain's 17-year-old midfielder Warren Zaire Emery, who is also admired by Pep Guardiola. Arsenal remain in the race to sign Ilkay Gundogan, but Borussia Dortmund have withdrawn their interest. I think it's between City and Barca for him. I don't think there's any chance he goes anywhere else. Bayern Munich are now the leading candidates to sign Kim Min-Jae. I think that's a move that makes a lot of sense for him. I think he'd be really good there. Uh, Borussia Dortmund have joined Liverpool, Aston Villa and Burnley in the hunt to sign Japan striker Keito Nakamura from Austrian side Lask. Saudi club Al-Tawun are offering Alvaro Morata €50 million per year. This is madness. Absolute madness 
Luton have made a move to sign Dutch winger Tahith Chong from Birmingham City this summer. He's a talented player, obviously came through the United Academy. They had high hopes for him for a while. And for some reason, it just never quite worked. He had a couple of good loans. Club Bruges was decent and obviously did well then at Birmingham. At Birmingham bought him last summer. Um, I think they paid him at two and a half million. They'll probably want a bit more because he has just had a good season for them. So, yeah, I could see that being a decent signing for Luton, but they're going to need to sign a lot of players and some of them are going to need to be of a higher quality. I do wonder, though, if Luton might use this Premier League money to strengthen, to go down, to then come back up and be better placed to be a Premier League team. It'll be interesting to see. Anyway, that's it. That's all I've got today. Take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.